0: Now, one of my boys is at the stage where if he doesn't get what he wants, uh, he just repeats something over and over again. So he says, I don't want this, I don't want this, I don't want this, I want that, I want that, I want that. And you know what? It wears you down. It wearies you. It is exhausting. It's hard to be patient. It's hard not to kind of snap back at them. Words can exhaust us, can't they? They can exhaust us. Uh, the husband, who always promises they're going to get that job done around the house and never quite gets around to it. Uh, maybe a friend or family member who you're chatting to them, you're catching up, and you realise maybe they've made another bad life decision and you feel like, oh, have they not learned anything from the last time you know they, they thought about doing that? It wears you down. Maybe a boss or a work colleague that puts you down at work or doesn't do what they say they'll do words can tire us out they can weary us they can frustrate us but it's serious isn't it when it says in chapter 2 verse 17 you have wearied the Lord with your words God is weary with his people he is weary with his people (laughs) I think there's something really serious if that's the case isn't it we need to look at this passage we need to see what it's saying to us so we don't fall into that trap of us wearying God with our words Uh, Wayne introduced some of the things, some of the concepts we've been thinking about uh, so far in the book. It's a book of prophecy right at the end of the Old Testament. And it's a message, a strong message from God to his people. There's a big problem going on. They are not worshipping God as they should. They are half-hearted, they are complacent, and it's much more serious than they realise. If you have not been here over the last few weeks, basically in chapter one, we saw them questioning God's love. God's people, they've they've been through so much to show that God loves them, they question it. Then we see they've been offering unacceptable sacrifices. Just half-hearted, just any old thing will do, giving that to God as if that's okay. In chapter 2, we've seen how the problem is not just with the people, it's right at the top. The problem is there with the priests as well. The priests have been leading the people astray. And then last week, we saw how their faithlessness towards God... Has been reflected in their faithfulness, in faith, unfaithfulness in their marriages. They've been divorcing their wives, marrying uh, other, others who would lead them away from God. And so this week, we get to their words, as well as it kind of gets to their actions as well. It's not just words, but also what God's going to do about it. So let's look at this, let's see what God has to say. Three questions today, and here's the first How have we wearied God? That's the question, isn't it? In in two seventeen, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied Him? You ask. By saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and He is pleased with them. Where is the God of justice? It's that same pattern we've seen all the way through. God says you've done this, and the people say, "How have we done this?" Kind of shrug, like, "What do you mean we've done this? How could you say that?" But I read this verse as I was preparing. I was thinking, well, there's a big question here, isn't there? There's a big uh, something that just jumps off the page to me. and think, well, hang on a minute. What, what, what do you mean that God gets weary? I mean, that doesn't sound quite right, does it? There's a there's a verse in Isaiah, for example, fourteen twenty-eight, very well known. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Bible is very clear. God does not get weary. So what's going on? How does this passage kind of is there a contradiction there? What's going on? Because actually this, you know, that, that verse is right. God does not get tired, He does not get weary, he's God. He doesn't sleep, He does not slumber. So what what's going on with this word here when it says you have wearied the Lord? Well, it's a little bit like, you know, when you, you talk about the hands of God? We sing that song where He's got a whole world in His hands. We're not literally thinking there's this physical pair of hands in space kind of surrounding the earth. It's, a, it's an image, an illustration of what God is like, how he, how he looks after us, how he cares for us. And so in the same way, it's using you know, language we understand to communicate what's going on with God. So it's not literally weary and tired. It's a sense of how serious you know, you know, the situation is with us people, how serious his frustration is. They've just been saying over and over again, he is weary with them in that that sense. And there's two things that they've been saying that, that are wearying him. Two things they've been doing that weary God. The first one is all about excusing evil. You see that in verse 17? They're saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. So they're saying, look, evil is fine, it's okay. God's pleased you can do what you like he doesn't have a problem with it we see it in 3 verse 5 look at 3 verse 5 look at some of the things that they've been doing i will come and put you on trial i'll be quick to testify against sorcerers adulterers perjurers against those who defraud laborers of their wages who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice but do not fear me says the lord almighty it's a sample perhaps of some of the things they were doing and almost saying it was okay none of those things are good are they what we've just read and yet that's what they're being taught maybe claiming for themselves that God's okay if we do these things in fact he's even pleased with us for doing these things now that is clearly wrong isn't it and maybe it gives us that question well, where does, where do, how do they reach that conclusion where does that attitude come from it comes from within it comes from our hearts common if I've said this before, I might have, but I remember sitting in church when I was a lot younger, and there was a sermon about God's judgment, and it was serious, it was heavy, there was a section on, you know, God's wrath, uh, and it was, you know, it felt weighty, but I remember afterwards, the people behind me, sitting behind me, kind of said to each other, oh, I don't agree with that, no, actually, my God wouldn't be like that, my God wouldn't do that. You know, rather than listening humbly to what the Bible was saying to them, they were deciding for themselves what God is like. That's a really foolish thing to do, isn't it? And that's kind of what, you see, what they were doing in Malachi. They were saying, God's pleased if we're doing evil things. That's not what what they were being taught. That was coming out of their own hearts. And actually that's true today. Lots of false teaching, lots of sin is justified today because we kind of decide what God's like for ourselves rather than looking at the Bible, rather than looking at Scripture. We don't get to decide what God is like. <laughs> we, 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 we see, we, 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 he communicates to us what he is like, what his standards are for, for how we are to live. We need to be careful, don't we? On our own, we all tend to kind of fall into that trap, tend to maybe minimise our sin, excuse our sin. We can treat God's grace quite cheaply if we do that. Maybe you've, you've said to yourself, Yeah, it's okay if I have a few extra drinks tonight. God loves me. He knows what hard week I've had. It's okay. Maybe, yeah, it's okay for me to sleep with my girlfriend and my boyfriend. God knows we really love each other. Maybe there's character flaws in us that we kind of just accept rather than actually battling, fighting them. Uh, God knows that's just what I'm like. I've always been that little bit selfish or I've always had that angry streak or that tendency to grumble. We just accept it. Maybe it's, you know, to do with how we live. uh, Say, it's good for me to be working hard, make sure that me and my family are secure. It's good for me to perform. It's good for me to achieve. These are good things, and that's true. But then do they sometimes become too important? And do we end up thinking, well, God knows that's really important. Even if my family and my spiritual life are suffering, It's kind of okay. God knows. God knows what I'm. I'm going through. We can just subtly justify doing wrong. We can treat His grace lightly instead of seeing how serious it is when we disobey God. And if we do that, see, God is wearied by that kind of attitude. The second thing they're asking is, where is the God of justice? You see that at the end of verse 17. Where is the God of justice? Now, that is just a statement of unbelief, really. You can kind of imagine people going up to Malachi after, after he's uh, explained these messages and saying, oh, I'm glad to hear God still loves us. That's really good. But what about all the evil around us? Uh, where's God? Why hasn't he sorted this out? I can't see him. He doesn't seem to be working for our goods. He doesn't seem to care about what we're doing. And actually, the people ignoring God's law, they're doing great. They're doing absolutely fine. So why shouldn't we live like that? What's the point in serving God? Where is he? I wonder if you can maybe understand that, that, that those feelings when we see injustice in our world today. It's so easy, isn't it, to, to wonder where God is, to wonder why is God letting this happen? I think it's a big reason for why people reject God. It's a big reason for our, our own doubts, Perhaps. A few years back, there was a video that went viral of uh, Stephen Fry really angrily questioning God. Uh, I'm not going to quote it because I watched it again and I thought it's just quite offensive almost because it's just this incredible arrogance that that he comes across. And his basic message is just like saying to God, well, how dare you? How dare you allow suffering and evil and pain that's not our fault? But maybe you've come across someone with that kind of attitude and you think, what do I say? How do I have... I don't, I'm not sure I've got an answer for that. We look at the injustice. We look at the suffering in our world. And we think, well, we cry out for answers, don't we? We do say, where, where's God? Why is God letting this happen? It's easy to doubt that goodness and his kindness when we're suffering, when we see that injustice. And we know, don't we, there's no easy answers. It's not, there's no quick answers for those things. Now, I guess it's not surprising when unbelievers say questions like that. It's not a surprise to us. But it's surprising here because this is God's people. These are, these are his people saying that. They know his promises and yet they're saying, where is the God of justice? I've got nothing to do with him. They're rejecting him. They're saying, I'm not going to bother with him. They're wearying God with his attitude. And I think we can do the same, can't we? We can be tempted to, to just slip into that kind of mindset. Why is God letting this happen to me? What have I done to deserve this or that? Now, I'm not saying we should never doubt. I think, you know, you look at the Psalms, don't you? And you see their honest, open expression of, you know, they're, they're pouring out their, their emotions to God, and it's good to see that. It's, it's okay, I think, to ask questions of God. But it's not okay to just reject him because of the situation you're going through. It's rather than saying, well, I'm just, I've got nothing to do with you, God, because you've done this. We say, no, help me understand God. Help me through this. Help me grow. There's a difference in how we ask those questions. So right at the start of this, this passages, we've got these two phrases, revealing why God is weary, revealing why he's frustrated. We've got this attitude of the people saying, well, I know best. I'm going my own way. I'm not going to follow you. And I think we see, don't we, that, that understandably that would weary God, the God who, who, who pours out his love on his people and gets that in return. It's clearly something we shouldn't treat lightly. And actually we'll see why in the next, next few verses. Here's my second question for us today. Do we really want justice? Do we really want justice? There's an answer to verse 17. Where is the God of justice? The answer is he's coming. Look at, look at chapter 3 verse 1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come says the lord almighty he's coming uh, in ancient times apparently what would happen was you'd have the royal entourage kind of you know coming down the road uh, and there'd be messengers sent ahead to kind of clear clear people out of the way to clear the path to make sure they could get through to make make the way prepare the way now this is a prophecy this is we'll see There's, this is talking about future things as well but it's also talking about right then and there in, in the time of malachi and it can, its not so clear for us, perhaps. But actually, the, the Hebrew for the word, the Hebrew word for messenger, sounds very similar, if not exactly the same, to Malachi. It, it, there's this connection. Malachi means messenger. He is this messenger coming before God, and he's and saying the Lord is coming. He's coming to, to 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 deal with his people. We think, good, good. God's coming back. And that surely is a good thing for his people, isn't it? After all, verse 1, do you see what it says? It says, they are seeking him. The the, the Lord you are seeking. The Lord you desire. Now, I don't know. I've read, if you've been here a few weeks, you read through the first few chapters of Malachi. It doesn't sound like really they are seeking him. It doesn't really sound like they are desiring him. Does it? It's a bit of a confusing thing to say, isn't it? I think it's meant ironically. It's almost like a little jab at them saying you're crying out for the god of justice do you know what that means for you do you realize what you're asking for because actually the the outcome is not quite maybe what they'd expect it says he will come suddenly suddenly there's this ominous element there and then we see that in verse two look at verse two but who can endure the day of his coming who can stand when he appears That's a leading question. We're expecting the answer to say, well, no one can stand. No one can stand before the Lord when he comes back. What are we going to say? God is saying to people, rather than worrying about other people facing justice, do you realise that means you will face justice as well? They've been worshipping half-heartedly, complacently. They were in trouble. God was coming to put them on trial. We see that in verse 5. For their sin. So is it good news or bad news? Well, it's not just bad news, I think, because we see at the heart of this passage, we see something good. We see some hope because we see why God's going to do this and what He does. Look at verse, uh, uh, look at verse two again, halfway through. For He will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. He's coming to do something good. He's coming to purify, to refine. What does refine mean? Well, let me show you a little clip, okay, of a modern day refinery. Uh, this is solid, This is uh, molten gold being poured into a mold. Uh, and what you'll see is as it cools down, some impurities rise to the top, some sink to the bottom. So uh, you'll see he flips that over in a second. And it's very obvious what the impurities look like. So. There you go. You can see, can't you, there's this big lump of black impurities on the top there and a whole layer on the bottom. He puts it in this chemical bath and it just kind of melts off. Do you see? That kind of layer of dross, I think is the technical term, is kind of the, the scum. It melts off and it leaves a much purer bar of gold. And that would have happened in a similar way in ancient times. it would skim off the top, leaving something more pure behind. That's this refining process. God, God does this with his people. Then it talks about a laundress soap. That's not just any kind of detergent. This is strong, kind of almost bleach-like, you know, strong, the strongest stain remover you can go and buy in the shops. Which is like, don't, you know, don't use this on anything delicate, you're gonna ruin it. It's kind of kind of territory. This is strong soap that's gonna remove you know the, the worst of the dirt, to get rid of it all, to restore clothes to good condition. Refiners fire, laundress soap. These are two pictures. About kind of separating what's really valuable and good from what is worthless and should be discarded. That's what God is coming to do, and there's good a good outcome. Do you see uh, in verse three? Then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. There's restoration. There's hope. They are suddenly offering acceptable sacrifices. They are giving God their best. That's good news, isn't it? It's good when you're left in a refining process. You're left with something beautiful. You're left with something good. But it takes fire. It takes something hard in order to get there. God's people needed refining. Even the priests, even the Levites, right at the center of religious life in, the church, in, the, in God's people, they all needed it. They, they needed th- this refining process. And those who refused to honour him and fear him, they'd be removed. They would be cast out so that the people would remain pure. Now that's not good news, is it? If you're in the wrong and you're not ready to maybe admit your sin and and come back to God, It's a warning. It's a warning that sin is really serious, that God will come and sort it out. And as I've already said, it's easy for us to look out and look at the world around us and think, well, what's going on? Where's the God of justice? Why is God letting this happen? But you see, this passage is more concerned with what's going on inside, Rather than looking out, it's getting us to look in. Maybe we're thinking, oh, I wish things were better in, uh, uh, you know, in the world. I wish things were like the good old days. And instead we're thinking, well, what do you think about the God of justice coming for you? That's the challenge, isn't it? And that's why that question comes. Do we really want God's justice? Because it's for us as well. It's not just for others. I remember a time uh, I was in, a, in the car with my dad... Uh, late at night I was dozing away and you know sometimes when the car kind of it stops quite suddenly and I sort of rose you know open my eyes slightly dozily and there were these sort of blue flashing lights kind of flashing off the trees and the bushes and I was instantly awake going what has dad done why are the police pulled him over you know what's happened is he in trouble this moment of panic turns out he was just pulling over to let them past so he was okay. But, but there's something in there, isn't it? There's something in that I'm sure you can understand maybe what I was feeling. We can look at others, can't we, and, I don't know, it's easy to have road rage, isn't it, when someone speeds past you, you're like, oh, unbelievable, what a maniac. We cry out for justice. If it's us speeding, there's always a good reason, of course. There's always a reason to justify it. But at the same time, you see some flashing lights coming up behind you, you've got a moment of dread, haven't you? You know you're guilty. You know something's, you've done something wrong. And that's, that, that's why that question is so important, isn't it? Because actually, guilty people don't really want justice, do they? We're all guilty. Do we really want justice, or would it be better if we just got away with it? We long for God to come and fix the world. And yet, we realize, don't we, that we're part of the problem. The world is broken because of human sin. We know this ruined world, and it's ruined because we have rejected God, we've, we've turned away from Him, we've gone our own way. It's not surprising, is it, that it's a massive mess when people turn from God. But we're just as guilty. We are just as big a part of the problem there. And we need to see that. We need to see, like the people of Malachi day, they needed to see how fruitless it was to, to live without giving God everything, giving God their best. They needed to be sort of shaken out of their complacency because the refiner was coming. And actually that's true even today. If, if you're not a believer here today, malachi is a serious warning this is warning to not be complacent to to not make excuses to not define what god's like on your own terms as if you know better than 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 he does there's a verse uh, in matthew's gospel story of jesus this is from john the baptist john the baptist was the messenger preparing the way for jesus this is the he was the fulfillment of the of what's saying what this is saying in malachi and here's what he says in 3, verse 11, Matthew. I baptise you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's fiery imagery, talking about Jesus. We've got this picture of refining, haven't we? It's not metal, it's wheat. They're gathering wheat together and then burning off the, the chaff, the kind of stalks, the waste, the, the, the worthless bits. That's what That's what it's going to be like. Jesus is coming to do that. He's coming to refine the world. We need to ask ourselves, are we ready for that? We don't want to ignore that. But even if we are believers, I think we all need to just pause and look inwards, don't we? before we look outwards at other people we need to look inwards we can too easily like minimize our sin like i was talking about we can look at a list like verse five and think well i'm not a sorcerer i'm not an adulterer i'm not a a perjurer and all these things but actually fine we may not have committed adultery physically but we may lust and fantasize and look at pornography we may not be per you know doing perjury but we have all told lies we have or massage the truth a little bit to make ourselves look better in a situation and all of those things about injustice we may not have done them literally directly but if if we've ever been silent to injustice we've seen it happening we don't say anything we don't speak up we don't care we don't support others we see don't we that actually we are more guilty than than we we think sometimes that verse in Romans 3.23 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. that is the reality of our lives that is our daily experience our hearts are twisted and ruined by sin do we really want justice do we really when we deserve to be thrown out like the kind of off the dross from the galt what hope do we have should we just turn off the light should we just go home in despair no because there's another question to be asked can we be refined? Can we be accepted? And the amazing truth of the gospel is that yes, we can. Yes, we can. I don't know if you've ever had a favourite item of clothing or, or something like that and it's stained and it's ruined and you don't want to get rid of it. You do whatever it takes to, to clean it up, to repair it. You, you spend far more on it than what it's worth because you love it. That That's a picture of the gospel. God spends far more than than than... than we're worth in order to save us he loved his people too much to leave them in that place he loves his people enough to purify them to make them righteous a very well-known verse John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life that is incredible love isn't it for his people undeserving worthless dross he sends his son and think about what jesus did he, he came to the temple actually like it says in malachi he came to the temple even as a baby people are rejoicing because they realize the savior has come and then he comes back to the temple when he's that bit older and he's got a whip and he casts out the uh, the buyers and the sellers in the temple courts and says you know don't make my my father's house a den of robbers he purifies the temple, do you see? He, he refines it. But at the same time, he doesn't kind of take his place on the throne and, and rule and judge. Instead, he was arrested and accused and beaten and spat upon by the people that maybe you would have expected to seek him and desire him and look for him. They were the ones who wanted him dead. And on the, on the cross, he bore the full weight of the father's weariness The father's anger, the father's wrath against sin. He bore the full weight of that refining fire. He was removed like the dross, like that worthless layer. He was was the one that was cast off, forsaken, abandoned and judged. Which means we can be accepted, we can be refined. Because actually the father turned his back on his own son. On the perfect righteous one. And he did that so that we, worthless, the dross, the impure, the, the chaff that should be discarded, can be saved, can be transformed into pure, wonderful goodness. We can be the people that he delights in. He doesn't look at our sin and our impurity. He sees glory, he sees gold, the, the pure results that come from trusting Jesus. I want to just finish by reading a couple of verses on in Malachi. These verses, verses 6 and 7 of chapter 3, they're kind of like a hinge. They, they go with the passage after, but they also tie our passage in as well. They're important. But look at what they say. Malachi 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. It's wonderful. God does not change. His mercy is divine in scale. And he says, return to me, and I will return to you. There's no doubt there. If you're not a believer here, do you see what that means? That means if you admit your sin, if you accept that that you have disobeyed God, if you ask for forgiveness, if you put your trust in Jesus, he comes to you. He, He welcomes you with open arms. You can do that even today, right now, and commit your life to him. But for us as believers as well, there's this sense of wanting to return to him, isn't there? From those attitudes that can weary God, the, 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 the ways we question his justice, the ways we excuse our sin. God sees us as perfect. God sees us wearing the kind of perfect, pure clothes of Jesus. And that changes everything. That means we can give God our best. The Spirit enables us, the Spirit changes us. Think about what happened after Jesus died. He rose again, death could not hold him. He is Lord of all and he promises to send the Spirit. And you go to the start of Acts, look at the start of Acts, look what happens on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes and what does he appear as? Fire. Tongues of fire. uh, Purifying, empowering the disciples. There's this refining picture connecting through there. They were given the strength to preach the truth, to live for Jesus. And that is the same for us, if we're trusting him. We have the power of the spirits who lives in us, who helps us to battle our sin. Not to excuse it, but to fight our lusts and our lies and our selfishness and our attitudes towards injustice. He reminds us that God is bigger. God's love is greater. We don't need to act in fear. We don't need to act. We don't need to sin. We don't need to give in. We have a different way now. We can, we can fight our sin. And also he shows us that we're not the finished article. There's always more to be refined. There's always more to be growing in. Uh, I remember in a home group in a previous church, um, I can't remember exactly what we were talking about, but, but this guy was like, do you know what? I, I can't really think of any sins I've done recently. And <laughs> it was slightly like, we were just a bit like, what? But his wife, quick as anything said, I can, <laughs> and there is something in that, isn't there? That like sometimes we can be a bit blind to us in, but there's always more. There's always more to be growing in, always more to be changing, and the Holy Spirit helps us see that. Where we still need to be refined, still need to be purified, and actually the Holy Spirit allows us to do that, allows that to happen. It's painful, it's hard, it's not easy. It's normally not just God clicking his fingers and, and we're changed. It's, we work through hard things and we come out the other side more beautiful that that's how he refines us and as well as that we do have hope for justice more widely don't we we know that god keeps accounts we know that he will judge those who seem to be getting away with huge injustice we think that's not fair but we know he is coming we know that everyone will be facing that refining that that fiery judgments so let me encourage you today to return to him to trust him to to rejoice to seek his power to change, to, to thank Him for all He's done for you, to cling to Him as He refines us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You that You You do refine. Thank You that You do not leave us as we are, but You help us to grow and change. And would You be at work in us by Your Spirit? Would You help us to keep returning to You when we realize we have? left you again and gone our own way thank you for your grace thank you that that we know we are safe and we know that we are perfect and we you see righteousness thanks to Christ please be at work in us please help us to keep trusting you day by day I pray for anyone here who maybe has not made that step and has not know the the wonder of trusting you and, and loving you please would you be at work in them help them to see uh, what it means to, to be refined, to trust in you. Please be at work, Lord. Amen. Amen.